The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, I'm Michael D. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the Tech Savvy Lawyer page and host of the Tech Savvy Lawyer page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned taking advantage of technology in their legal work and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. The podcast will try to stay focused, asking each guest three questions and asking the guests to provide their top three best answers for each question asked. There is no right or wrong answer, as each tip may or may not be the right one for you, but it may springboard an idea for you, and along the way, you may learn something new. And now, part three of my three-part interview with Judge Dixon. What are three critical areas of technology attorneys need to keep an eye on today and in the future when it comes to technology and the legal practice arena? There are a a number of critical technology areas. Uh, One of them that caught my attention recently is something called a deep fake. And let me see, for those who have not heard it, if I can uh, just just give an example. Imagine, if you will, uh, you're in a trial and one party offers a video of the opposing party saying something or doing something that the opposing party says uh, is not an accurate video. Uh, In other words, you have one party saying, this is a video I took, and it shows the opposing party doing or saying something that that makes uh, that party's case, and you have the opposing party saying, that did not happen. Now, if you're dealing with with folks on a low-level case, uh, you may not be able to call on any experts to, to test anything at that point. There is artificial intelligence software that's readily available that's becoming better and better at being able to put words in people's mouth or show them doing things uh, that they did not do. Deepfakes uh, made their introduction several years ago when this character who whose name uh, uh, was Deepfake uh, showed pornographic videos of uh, well-known celebrities uh, performing pornographic acts uh, that that later folks uh, realized were 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 all faked. And the reason it's going to become a concern is because with artificial intelligence, uh, imagine this, you have one system that is creating this artificial video. Now you have to have source material. You have to have existing videos. You have Uh to have existing recordings, but you you have one set of artificial intelligence that's uh, creating this fake, if you will. And then you have another program driven by artificial intelligence to detect fakes. And just imagine you're going back and forth with these two systems, and each time the artificial intelligence gets better and better. In other words, the detecting, every time the detecting software detects a deep fake, 
It's an improvement made in the producing software. It's getting to the point uh, where, in some instances, it is very difficult, even for experts, to be able to tell what's fake and what's not fake. It hasn't really reached the point of mass use at the moment, but there will come a time when uh, lawyers and judges are going to have to confront this issue with respect to these deep fakes, that is, these phony videos, and sometimes they can be audios too, uh, that purport to make a party's case that the other side claims is, is a phony or a fake. We, we haven't gotten to the point where this has started showing up in courtrooms yet, but with the development of artificial intelligence, um, it's, 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 it's an issue that will occur eventually. Well, but is this going to be coming from the client or is this going to be coming from the attorney? Because quite frankly, I would think that if the attorney did something like this, they're, they're facing uh, disbarment. This would normally come from the client. The, the client the client has produced the video or the audio and given it to the attorney as a video or audio that was made on a particular day uh, to demonstrate a particular thing. Uh, but would the, the attorney then be duty bound to at least scan it as, uh, as through whatever program you can use to figure out if it's, if it's a fake? In, in many instances, the attorneys will not have software to determine it's a fake. They will have the ability to look at it. And if it mm-hmm. looks real, and if your client says it's real, I don't know that there is an additional obligation uh, on 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 the attorney, especially where it looks like what it purports to be. You, you know, Project, to hire I, I to hire an expert to 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 just double check. Now, in 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 some uh, in in some cases where the stakes are really high and the investment. The, the legal investment of time and expenses is high. Uh-huh. Uh, it's probably helpful to, to, to do that uh, on some sort of basis. Uh, but I, I would say in your run-of-the-mill case, uh, in your run-of-the-mill case, if this were to happen, it's not necessarily up to the lawyer to discover this was a fake. I've got an article coming out. The reason this came to mind is I have an article coming out uh, in the Judge's Journal uh, very uh-huh. soon where I talked about deep fakes because of my concern uh, about uh, about when this issue does hit 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 the courtroom. And so once I get a link to that article, uh, I, I I will send it to you. It 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 please, should be produced sometime uh you know within the next several weeks. Excellent. I will I will look forward to that and that this is very alarming cuz somehow <laughs> I, I fear that lawyers are going to be disciplined for letting something like that go through. I hear what you're saying that, you know, they're going to take the word of their client. It looks like what it's, it's, it ports to be. But, you know, still, I could just I it, that makes me sure. kind of shake in my shoes. Um, oh, oh, any yes. others? Um, uh, another critical area of technology for attorneys to uh, be aware of has to do with uh, e-discovery. And, and we all mm-hmm. recognize that there there was that time in the past where all the files were paper. And even in the big cases, the attorneys would have to go to some uh, warehouse in South Dakota or North Dakota or someplace and, and go through uh, file cabinet after file cabinet in the exercise of discovery. Well, now almost all uh, files are maintained uh, on computers. And not only are you talking about the files on the computers, attorneys have to be aware of electronic discovery 
as it relates to email, uh, as it relates to text messages, as it relates to instant messaging, as it relates to Facebook, uh, Instagram, and, and a host of other uh, possibilities with respect to evidence that can either help your client or hurt your client. And so if an attorney is approaching a case without thinking about what digital uh, materials may be out there to help or hurt uh, the case, they're doing a disservice to the client uh, because uh, that is where a lot of either helpful information is discovered or a lot of very hurtful uh, prejudicial information uh, is, is, is located. So they've got to be aware of, of, uh, of e-discovery when they're thinking about the process of discovery uh, in, in any case. Well, I, I have a sure. sort of weird question for you along these lines. So I don't know if you have I Amazon do. Prime. Okay, did you I watch Goliath? Ah, okay. It's well, it's it's a really, uh, it was a really great is a really great show about uh, a recovering attorney who we will with Billy Bob Thornton. I won't get into the details of that, but in the uh, in the third season, he got dumped, or maybe it was the third season. I'm in the second season. He got dumped with like a a um, what do you call those? Uh, basically, a large, huge paper dump of okay. documents. You know, I think he was expecting it in electronic form, but it didn't come that way. That being said, have what have you seen where the company who's being sued or the party who's being sued who may have an electronic copy, uh, but says, "Well, I'm just going to give you the paper stuff and good luck." And and as a judge, how would you feel about something like that? It, it happens quite often, which is why. Mm -hmm. It is important in the very beginning stages of the case uh, for the requesting attorney to specify the form of production that's being sought. Uh, and if there's not an agreement to the form of production being sought, mm -hmm. then approach the judge with the issue very early in the case. You do not want to wait until after several hundred, several thousand, or whatever the number is, documents have been produced but to then declare at that right. time that I wanted electronic copies. Uh, and, and when I say form of production, you have to be specific because you can ask for digital copies in which you may get uh, are flat PDF copies. That is, the documents have been scanned. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, and, and other than, other than using uh, optical character recognition to make them readable, uh, so that you can search for certain things. Uh -huh. uh, you could have avoided this problem by specifying in advance that I want either the the the, native, the original files from your computer, I want the files with metadata, uh, I'm willing to take PDFs, but they've got to be searchable PDFs. You, you've got to specify the type of, of uh, discovery uh, that, that you're seeking early in the case to avoid uh, that type of situation. Well, I, I hope to have you back on again, as we talked about uh, before we started broadcasting. Um, and I know one of the issues we want to talk about is e-discovery. But just along these lines, how much of a duty does the um, provider have to uh, adhere to to the request of the um, the requester? In other words, you know, it says, well, I want this uh, PDF in, in OCR. Well, 
you know, I only have paper co- uh, copies, or we, yeah, we have PDFs, but they're not OCR. Okay. No, 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 no. Good, how, good, good how limited point. are they? Uh, if the uh, if the custodian only has paper mm-hmm. and they don't have digital, uh, I don't know uh, that it is within the right of the requesting party to specify that they've now got to convert it uh, to digital copies. Uh, you know, but it is within the right of the requesting party to request digital copies if digital copies exist. So, but let's go one step further. Uh, let's say they're not OCR. Do do they have the right to have the um, uh, the provider? You know, you have to OCR them for me. You know, that probably depends on the case. But if the custodian presents a credible case that all the digital copies that we have are scanned, and and, and in those instances, mm-hmm. you 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 know, uh, uh, you know that the and unless they are scanned in a special way with OCR, they they're just scanned as flat copies. Uh, and right. the requesting party has just as much of an ability as we have to convert them right. uh, by using optical character recognition. Uh, I think in, in those instances, a lot of judges would say if they're convinced that the documents mm-hmm. exist only in flat PDF form, uh, then provide them to the requesting party and let them use OCR to, to, to do it. In many instances, you don't have to create things that don't exist. Uh, it's, it's just that you, you have to be aware that if it exists in certain formats, uh, you, you, you are not entitled to disadvantage, disadvantage an opposing party uh, by giving them uh, a format that has less utility. I've noticed in a lot of uh, more recently the, the paid uh, PDF readers are uh, having OCR uh, capabilities yes. with them, optical character recognition. Um, before it was pretty much just Acrobat and maybe one other program that could do a decent or really good job and now, but they all seem to be catching up because some of them were oh, just absolutely. like sort of haphazard. Um, but, but now I, it's more commonplace. And, you know, I think like, I mean, I can run uh, files or a large group of files on its own and just let it go and, you know, have it done overnight. Um, but I didn't know if there there were any interesting rules or the way judges feel about that, which I appreciate your insight on. Uh, so I think we got two, we got one more. Any any other? Uh, well, actually, areas? the third critical area uh, also deals with e-discovery, but it, it, it goes a little further. It's the use of um, uh, the use of technology. Uh, for being able to search documents for relevant document. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's for, for, for instance, let's imagine you're dealing with a very large cases, case, you're dealing with hundreds of thousands uh-huh. uh, of documents. Uh-huh. And one of the uh, primary uh, uses of technology-assisted uh, discovery is called predictive coding, but there are different there are different types of technology-assisted discovery. These doc, these programs, if you will, are based on initial instructions from the lawyer. In other words, initial coding from the lawyer uh, will search out particular types of documents. And the attorney will then review that small batch that occurs and fine-tune the coding in terms of the documents that are being sought. And this is, this is done a few times. 
And after it's done a few times, then the coding is run on on the the uh, total uh, cache of, of all documents in order to come back with potentially relevant documents. What research has shown time and time again uh, is that the gold standard is not uh, an attorney reviewing each one of the documents. Uh, the, the, the machine uh, operated technology assisted discovery in all instances, I'm talking about when we're talking about large volumes of documents, uh, it, uh, right. defeats the ability of, of humans in a very short period of time to retrieve the relevant documents. It has been shown with locked set of documents. And when I say locked, I mean these are cases that have already been tried, for instance, an oil spill case, et cetera, right. where they have done tests with attorneys reviewing uh, thousands and thousands of documents, and they have used the the artificial intelligence programs to review the thousands and thousands, or it can be millions and millions of, of documents, that you, you get a much better return, a much more accurate return uh, using the technology-assisted uh, uh, discovery. For some reason, Many in the profession have not accepted this idea yet. They think that that it, it takes the human eye on each of these documents. But in these numerous tests that have been run after the fact where the data sets are locked, uh, the technology-assisted discovery wins every time, and, and attorneys need to become aware of that. So would this also include uh, identifying privileged documents? <laughs> Probably not. It, it hasn't gotten that good yet. The, the attorneys will then have to review the relevant, potentially relevant documents that are returned uh, to see right, right. Uh, if, if there is an issue of privilege related to that document. Uh, you can spot, yeah, you can spot some documents like, I, uh, by, uh, you, you spot some documents by, you know, whatever coding you use or whatever keywords that you use. Uh, that, that might come up with a word that will reflect a privileged document. But with respect to privileged documents, that has to be uh, by hand after the fact, after the set of relevant documents have been returned. Yeah, because the way you were talking, I I, I, I heard you like wiping out a whole <laughs> industry in the D.C. area for attorneys who are looking for jobs that just do the contract work of document review. Um, I know it's it's fairly lucrative around here, especially with the larger firms. Um, so I, I think some people out there can breathe, breathe a sigh of, a, a sigh of relief, knowing that they still have a job. Uh, and don't have to worry too much about that um, as they're looking for their first, you know, you know, their first uh, or their next job, I should say, their next uh, professional job. Uh, so excellent. I really do appreciate your thoughts and insights today. Uh, so tell me, where can people find you uh, out there on the internet if they want to follow up and learn more? <laughs> well, or I will see send a, a, a link to you for my technology column archive. Uh, I mean, you can use your search Excellent. engine, uh, Judge Dixon Technology Column, American Bar Association, and most likely the link will, will show up. But I, I'll send that to you uh, because I prepare a technology column uh, quarterly. Uh, sometimes I will miss an edition mm -hmm. because, you know, the issue itself may be all about technology and there's no need for a separate column 
uh, from me. But we have archived materials, I think, from about 2008. And what I'm proud of about this archive is that it's meant for people who are not excited or turned on by technology to begin with. In other words, it's I write it in a very basic fashion. I write it to be interesting uh-huh. so that some issues related to technology, folks who might not normally uh, be interested in finding out any more about it uh, are willing to read uh, this column to at least get some basic information about the particular issue. And, and so that that's my primary, that's my primary um, uh, place on the internet, that archive. Now, I, I know you're on uh, Twitter. Oh, I, people I am. Find you there. Are you active Twitter, there? Uh, not as active as some others. That's at J.H.B. Dixon. The J stands for judge. Uh, at J.H.B. Dixon, I will uh, write about court technology. Uh, I will write uh, cloud computing uh, technology and ethics. Uh, I Last time I looked, I think I had about a little over 400 followers, uh, and I think half of them are reporters waiting on me to say something wrong. I have not been as active uh, in the last six months as I have been uh, earlier. Uh, But yes, they can find me on Twitter, most times commenting on issues related to technology and the law. But, But sometimes I get into issues related to judicial independence and the uh, independence of the, uh, you know, of, of judges. Excellent. Well, again, sir, I appreciate your time. And I ask the listener to join me next time as we continue to interview uh, judges, lawyers, and other legal practitioners as they talk about the implementation of technology in their law practice. My Thank pleasure, you and Michael. have a great day.